Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Okay, today's interview is with Adam Schoenfeld. Adam is the co-founder and CEO of Simply Measured a leading social media analytics and measurement platform used by brands such as Samsung, Microsoft, American Express, and Pepsi, to name a few. Simply Measured was founded in 2010 and to date has raised $29 million in VC funding. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Omer. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I've told our audience just a little bit about you. Tell us in your own words a little bit more about you personally and then give us an overview of your product and business. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess a uh, few headlines about me personally. I'm a, I'm a second-time entrepreneur. Uh, I, I shut down my first company, didn't really get product market fit there, learned a ton of lessons, kind of call it my, uh, my MBA. And, uh, and then took another, another crack at it, um, with simply measured and was able to sort of apply some of the lessons I learned there and, and get this thing going on a, on a really good trajectory. Um, I think I'll be doing this forever. Um, I really like, uh, kind of creating things. I like, uh, building organizations. I I like, uh, you know, kind of building a place that I want to come to work as well as building a product that I think helps people, uh, do their best work. Um, so I've kind of caught the bug in terms of startups and, and being an entrepreneur. 
Um, before I did this, I did some management consulting and kind of got some basic business training, got into data analytics at that time. Uh, I guess on the personal side, my, my big things are basically family, golf, and breakfast foods. So uh, <laughs> while work probably dominates the two halves, uh, when, when I have time for golf, I'll get that in. And uh, I love a good piece of French toast or omelet. Awesome. So before we dive into more details, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite success quotes? Uh, so I really like some of the quotes from John Wooden. Uh, I'll actually give you two I really like. So uh, one, it's the little details that are vital. Little things make big things happen. Uh, and then I also like, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. Um, so I, those both really resonate for me. And I, I really like a lot of the, the stuff John Wood and the great uh, UCLA basketball coach says. Is there an example that comes to mind on, on how either of those quotes have helped you in your, your business life? Yeah, the little things being vital. I think, you know, in the early days when we were building Simply Measured, well, what was Untitled Startup, um, you know, we often kind of latched on to little pain points people had or little problems. And, and we, were, we were very focused on, on the details and how we delivered uh, our solution. And uh, I think that really resonated for me that you, you sort of piece together a lot of uh, little stuff and then eventually you can kind of come up with something big. Um, and of course, making mistakes. I'm a big believer in sort of learning from failure. Um, you know, I think it's very much okay to fail and learn. We have that as a value in our culture here. So I, I like that idea of, you know, if you're, if you're a doer, you're making mistakes along the way. Awesome. Before we talk about Simply Measured, I want to talk a little bit about life before Simply Measured. Um, so you, you mentioned the, the startup Cheddar Media. T tell me a little bit more about that business. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was a few different iterations. You know, we, we pivoted a couple of times, actually. Um, we started with this consumer uh, sort of app where you, could, where you could compete in these different types of contests. And we saw that that wasn't really working. So we, then we pivoted to be a, 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 a tool for marketers to run contests and promotions. And that was the meat of the, of the time was on the sort of tool for marketers. Um, and we, we were basically sort of distributing it to bloggers and they could install this widget and then run like a photo contest or a, a Twitter contest. So there are a few different formats we had. And we never really got the business model right. You know, it, was, it wasn't something we could charge the, the users money for. It wasn't something that we could sort of distri uh, display ads on. Um, so I was kind of learned later in the, in the life cycle that there wasn't a way to really monetize the solution. It was kind of a cool but nice to have thing for the people that were using it. Um, and so that was a lesson I was able to apply very early on at Simply Measured in terms of you know, focusing on a pain point people want to pay for up front. Um, so anyway, going back to Cheddar, you know, we didn't achieve product market fit. We had raised a little angel money. And, and the right decision at that point was to just shut the company down and sort of go on to the next thing. A key question that I think a lot of startups have is how long you should keep going with the business if you're not getting traction, when you should pivot, when you should close the doors, other than obviously when you run out of money and you have no choice. Um, I interviewed Chris Savage from Wistia the other day, 
And he told me how it took them one year to get their first paying customer. And, you know, I think it takes a, a lot of determination and belief to keep going that long where, you know, most people would have given up. You know, based on your experience, what advice would you give to someone who's, who's struggling to, to get that traction or to generate revenue? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a really tough question because you certainly see companies that they don't find their stride till, you know, one, two, three, maybe even four years in and they, they, then they find the thing that really works. So um, there's this tough balance for you want to stick with it and you want to be relentless as an entrepreneur, but you also want to be your own biggest critic and be really objective about, you know, what's the market doing? Do we have something that has, you know, value here that we can grow? Um, so it's a really tough thing. I, I think the biggest thing for me is just staying close to the customers and, and, you know, making sure there's some validation, even if it's not revenue. So they're, at least they're saying, oh yeah, this has value or you're on the right track. And I think I'd be wanting that at least, you know, on a quarterly basis to, to hear from my customers and, and really sort of take a step back and say, is what I'm hearing, are these positive signs that I can actually build something that I can charge money for and grow? So let's start um, by giving our listeners a better understanding of Simply Measured before we dive into the details. Who are your target customers? Yeah, so we target uh, both large enterprises. You know, you mentioned a couple, like we work with Pepsi, Amex, Whole Foods, Microsoft, Clorox, companies like that, um, as well as uh, you know, we define as the mid market, uh, and then we have a pretty good group of of a few hundred agencies that that use our product as well. Um, so we have those those sort of three classes of customers that we target, and we we're a, we're a software as a service company, um, and so it's a you know subscription model, usually annual contracts, and then kind of um, you know monthly licensing. And uh, the product, like you said up front, it's a social analytics solution that basically helps brands make sense about what is happening in social media. And that's both measuring their marketing efforts and tapping into that big sea of social data and conversations so they can get insights about, you know, their audience, competitors, and trends happening around their brands. Um, so that's a bit of a summary and, and the customers we target. Um, what do you think, what are their top pain points that you're trying to solve? Because when I first looked at Simply Measured, you know, my, my initial reaction was, wow, there are a lot of social media analytics solutions out there. So what are you guys trying to do um, to differentiate the the offering or the problems that you're solving? Yeah, it's a great question. It's definitely been a messy space. I think if you look at you know, where we sit, we're on the sort of convergence point of a ton of big trends. So there's a lot of companies kind of broadly in our area. Uh, if you think about SaaS, if you think about big data, if you think about social media, right, we're sort of, we're touching all those trends. And those are all spaces that are extremely crowded with a lot of attention. Um, so I, the things that we've done that have been really unique, I think, first of all, we've really focused on the the marketer. Um, I think there are a lot of BI and analytics and big data tools out there that are for data scientists or analysts, but nothing that's really designed for the marketer that's really about kind of making data more practical for the marketer. Uh, then I think the second thing is that we give them access to a lot of disparate data in one place. Um, so we do a good job as kind of an aggregator across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, 
uh, Google Analytics, uh, Bitly, you know, we bring in all these other enrichments. Um, so we sort of make all that data accessible uh, in one kind of central place and, and put it into like very usable, digestible formats. And then I think the third thing we do that's really unique is we give the, the end user a lot of control kind of end to end over their, their data and the presentation of that data. So we've integrated really deeply with Microsoft Excel and PowerPoint, which was a little bit of a, you know, a unique thing to do early on. That was a big part of our early offering, but um, giving users control in those tools has been a, a really big point of differentiation for us. Okay, Adam, let's talk about the early days of Simply Measured and explore how you got started. First of all, tell me, where did the idea for Simply Measured come from? Well, it's a little bit of a non-traditional founding, I'd say, because we didn't actually start with an idea. Um, we, we approached this, you know, team first, market second, and then idea or product were third. So we, we founded the company as Untitled Startup. Uh, and that was January 2010. Uh, my two co-founders, Aviel Ginsberg and Damon Cortese, came together. I joined them just a bit later. And uh, the idea was, all right, we're going to be an untitled startup. We're going to we're going to experiment with a few things, and then we're gonna you know we're gonna find one thing to pursue and scale. Um, and we were roughly interested in the social marketing and sort of digital PR space, um, but we didn't know exactly what what that was going to uh, look like. So the you know the very first starting point was a little bit unique in that it was an untitled startup. Um, in terms of arriving at the actual idea, it was through one of those experiments. It was a, a tool that we really built over a weekend called Row Feeder. And it was initially to scratch uh, an itch that we had, which uh, we were running this little sort of promotion and we wanted to get data around a hashtag. And we were having a, a hard time figuring out, oh, what's, our, what's an easy way we can, you know, just sort of do some analysis of this hashtag and said, oh, why don't we just, you know, write a, write a little uh, program to dump that into a, uh, a spreadsheet. It was a Google spreadsheet at the time. And, uh, and that, was, that was it. So we, we didn't even know that that was going to be marketable. And after sort of, you know, trying that with a few people, we realized people were having problems, uh, you know, getting access to social data and making sense of it. And we realized that this idea of just really simple kind of tracking and analytics that used uh, Excel spreadsheets to, to deliver reports was was an idea that was interesting to people. So I guess to, to wrap that up, you know, it was a, a bit of an organic process that we came up with the idea. So before I want to talk about row feeder, but before we do that, tell me tell me a little bit about why you took this team market product approach you know most people would have waited until they've most people do wait until they feel like they've got a good enough idea to be able to start a business but why did you guys take that take a different approach yeah i think it was just uh where we were personally at that time we were all really ready to do something you know i had to shut down my company damon had been an entrepreneur in residence at madrona aviel had been working at another startup and wanted to kind of go out and do something. So we were all really eager to, to, to do something. And we thought the space was really interesting. We just didn't know yet what we would do. Um, and then we had a shared passion. I mean, we were all really 
we got along really well. We loved working together. We thought we had the right balance of skills between the three of us. So I guess we just maybe naively we had a lot of uh, a lot of confidence that hey, if if we get together and put all of our time on this, you know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna find something that's gonna be really special and that we're gonna wanna you know scale and and build into a company. Did you guys know that at that stage that you were you wanted to go after customers, you know, the big customers and brands like Microsoft and American Express? Was that on your minds in the early days? Absolutely not. At that, at that point, we we didn't even know who our customer would be. I mean, we were thinking in in general terms. We thought that marketers had a lot of problems when it came to data and analytics, but. Uh, we hadn't segmented the market in any way. It was, oh, let's just find somebody who wants to use this. Um, and uh, you know, our, our first, the first customers that really loved us were uh, were agencies, uh, PR agencies, digital marketing agencies. Those were the guys that uh, you know we we made connections with, and they they loved the product early on. So uh, we we definitely have gotten more sophisticated in how we segment the market, the kinds of customers we go after. It took us probably a good year before we had any uh any legitimate sort of enterprise brands using us so tell me tell me more about rowfeeder and and what it did it was really simple i mean it it did not do much in that first version um it 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 would basically you know track some uh data from twitter based on a hashtag or a username and then uh we built we then you know a few weeks later we built some simple reporting on top of that you know we could kind of chart things over time or analyze the users that were mentioning that hashtag um, but it was it was really really simple at first um, so you know the the capabilities of simply measured are obviously a lot more mature and we had to build a lot of that out to serve the larger enterprises but that that v one was i mean it was it was very basic um and we, we we honestly we didn't think very highly of it at the time. I mean, we were we were trying to get something out quickly that we could go validate and talk to people about their pain points um, rather than getting a perfect solution to the problem. So, at what point did you did you go out and and show that product to potential customers? Uh gosh, it's I'm thinking back now. We're going four years, four and a half years back. So it was. You know, we we had it out there a little bit. We kind of had the website, and we were trying to drive a little traffic to a self serve uh, model. And we got a few people, you know, signing up free or at nine, ten bucks a month, I think. And then, and I said, okay, well, let's you know, let's call some of these people up, and let's tap into our network, and let's go to some events, and let's you know, try to cast a wider net and, and get some you know direct feedback from uh, from people that might be a, a good user of this product. So, so were you charging from the start for the product? We were, but not very much. Um, that was actually a big initial turning point was when we started charging. We, we shifted the model from being a, a kind of lower end, you know, prosumer, maybe 10 bucks a month tool to focusing on to introducing a tier that was around $500 a month. Uh, and, and so that's when we really started you know, building toward what we have today. Cause that's, we, you know, that's now our, our lowest, uh, skew. Um, so we were charging, but very little amounts. I mean, we even had, I think you could, you could get 48 hours of usage for $2 and 50 cents in, in the very first version. So wow. it was a, a little bit of a, a wonky pricing model in those days. Um, 
So I think there's there's a really important lesson here where, you know, for for many entrepreneurs it's it's tempting just to wait for months or or even longer until you feel like you have a um you know, you may even want to you may still be, you know, okay with the idea of a minimum viable product, but you know, you still feel like it it has to have a certain amount of features or a certain amount of capability. And from the sounds of it, what you guys started with was a pretty simple concept, but you got it out there pretty quickly and you started getting feedback. Am I right about that? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that was critical. If we had tried to polish it too much, it, you know, I, I, I don't think we would have got that feedback quickly enough. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think we went out with something that was really rough and, and, you know, it worked some of the time. It was, you know, it was incomplete to say the least, um, but it was, you know, it was testing an idea that, hey, there's still a lot of pain around uh, the way marketers do their social analytics and tracking. And we can, you know, we can do something different here to, you know, solve that problem more effectively. And um, and so it did give us the opportunity to test and then iterate, you know, once we once we had it out there. Um, so I think that is a good lesson. And and also the charging money was important, right? Because it even if they were small amounts in the early days, it, it it was a it was real validation that people were willing to pay for the problem. So you said that the the you know the first version of Row Feeder didn't really do that much. Did you guys have any? Um, I don't know. How did how did you guys feel about charging for a product which you felt didn't do that much? <laughs> uh, I mean, I felt good. I felt good about it because it, it, you know, even though it didn't do that much, it was solving a problem, right? I mean, it was. Um, it, it's funny because between myself and my co-founders, I, I'm the I'm the non-technical co-founder. I'm the you know the business guy uh, of the three, and and they're both engineers. And so we we had these debates early on where you know Damon would be saying, you know, I I just don't know why people would pay for this. You know, they can just go write a couple scripts, and it would you know it wouldn't take them very long to do this kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, but our customers are marketers and PR people, and they can't, you know, they don't, they can't do that. So this is actually solving a huge pain for them. Um, so we had a lot of those debates early on, but it, you know, ultimately I felt good about it because we were we were solving a problem, and and you know, I think if people if people didn't think it was worth anything, they wouldn't pay. Do you remember what what your customer acquisition looked like in the first year? How fast were you growing and acquiring customers in that first year? Oh man, you know, it took us, I remember it took us a long, it, it took us probably six months to get to 10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. I mean, you know, then from there we, we started building much, much more quickly, but those first, you know, those first handful of customers, it was slow. It was a slow go. And, uh, you know, we, we had sort of two modes of it. We had one mode was people signing up through the website for a free version and, you know, kind of a traditional freemium. And maybe we could get them to upgrade to a, a 10, 20 or $50, uh, SKU. And then we had another mode, which was, you know, I would, I would kind of call people that were on the either free users or had, you know, fill out a form or something like that. Some, some way that we had a contact and, and I talked to them about the, you know, the $500 SKU and it was a slow go, you know, I mean, we had to, uh, you know, work hard to get those those first handful of customers. Um, but I, I, you know, I think what you, what I I remember doing as the the guy that was out talking about the product, you 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 sort of you don't sell efficiently, right? You you end up 
you talk to the people that get it right away and are excited right away and you spend a lot of time with them and you you know if 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 somebody's not sort of interested after the first 15 minute phone call then you don't spend a lot of time with them um versus you know when you get bigger you're trying to kind of increase your conversion rate and and scale and really you know have an efficient sales process in those early days it's really just about finding the few people that the idea resonates with how did you get to you get from you know nine or ten dollars a month to a five hundred dollar product, five hundred dollar a month product in six months. Yeah, it was. Uh, there were some very obvious things that we we could do from a, a feature point of view to attract um, higher higher ticket prices, um, largely with our agencies. So you know, if an agency had a, a large enterprise client, they had specific needs uh, around higher volume tracking. They also wanted to look at more than just Twitter. They wanted to look at Facebook too and other things. So we had some really clear feedback where, okay, they like the core approach that we have. They like that it's uh, simple. They like that we're integrating with Excel. They like that um, we're kind of designing this for marketers instead of you know data scientists. Um, but they need a few other things and then they'll be willing to pay a, a, you know, a pretty solid price point. And so we were able to, to add some of those things quickly. Um, and, and go out and, and get some of those uh, slightly higher paying customers. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. Were you having to go out and and sell the $500 a month plan or... Um, were, you know, I mean, do you remember the day when the first customer came and signed up for a $500 a month plan? I'm trying to think the first $500 a month we had, we had a 200, I remember a 200 or $250 one that was really early on. It was somebody that came in through us. It was a market research company in Australia and they had come in and looked at the free tool and sent an email, right? And said, Hey, do you have anything that's a little bit more robust in these areas? And we said, uh, you know, if you can give us a little time, we can probably, you know, deliver on some of those needs. And uh, we had already been working on some of that stuff. And that was the first, you know, customer at that, you know, hundreds of dollars a month per versus, you know, a few dollars a month that we closed. Um, but then it was generating that demand in the early days was a lot of it was the same model we have now, actually, which is creating great content through our blog and social media um, a series of free tools that have attracted a lot of usage and then, um, you know, hopefully building relationships through those two channels and then having people come want to, you know, try out the, uh, the product. So looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you guys made? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the, I'd say one of them was, um, we didn't, we didn't have enough, we didn't sort of hit the gas hard enough in growing a sales team. Um, there was a point where I was trying to do too much closing deals and we, you know, we had the validation that, that we were onto something. And if we had 
you know, hired one or two people onto the sales team, you know, we would have sort of paid for it right away. So I think we were probably a little, we were a little slow to hire salespeople and that came and bit us then kind of in the, in, you know, year two where then we were, it was a lot of pain and we had way, too, way more leads than we could handle. So then when maybe some of our sales hires didn't work out, uh, or we had some turnover in those roles, it, it became very painful. So I think if we had been a little more intentional early on about, Hey, let's, you know, let's hire one or two salespeople now and get them ramped up and make sure it works. Um, we would have saved a lot of pain. Okay. So you've, you've, you know, you guys have come together, you've come up with an idea for row feeder, um, you know, pretty basic, you know, product to start with. You went out there and you got some feedback. You started to iterate and improve on the product. And in six months, you were up to $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. So, you know, it looks like you guys are onto something, something that potentially could become, you know, an even bigger product and business. But with, with growth often come growing pains. So just looking back at those first few years, tell me about, one challenge that you faced as your business started to grow either on the business or on the product side? Yeah. So in that, that sort of initial growth phase, one of the big challenges we faced was actually transitioning the, the products and the brand and all these experiments that we had to be, you know, to become simply measured. We, we were growing the business and we were onto something like you said, but we couldn't be untitled startup anymore. Um, we had we had row feeder and we actually had another product called Exportly that were you know both serving this, this social analytics space but they were doing uh, different things. Um, so there was a lot of confusion that we created around the different brands and the different products and uh, what was simply measured and why should I pay more money for that and transitioning the old customers. Um, so I think that that phase of when you you figure out what you want to be and you're you're sort of trying to clean up the you know the scrappy little startup that you were is is one that can be a, a bit challenging so in many ways when i when i hear this story it it seems like you know you guys made this look really easy right <laughs> you know yeah. um you know, you, you 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 started out you you guys felt you had a good team together um you get to you know decent recurring revenue in in within six months and and you know everything looked you know pretty smooth sailing from there, but that's not that's I, I'm sure there it was a bumpy ride along the way though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's it's never easy. You know, it's it's one of those things where it always looks better from the outside, right? A, a nice smooth revenue curve and and. Uh, you know, a big growing market and are, are definitely good, but it's, there's always a lot of a lot of pain and challenges sort of behind the scenes. I mean, I I remember in the early days, you know, those those hard times of trying to get the first customers, and we we'd sort of take long walks, the three founders, and say, "Man, you know, this product's not very good. Are we ever going to get anybody to buy it? Should we be thinking bigger rather than doing all these dinky experiments that you know we're not really sure if any of them are going to work." Um, and then as you, you kind of get to the next stage or, you know, we were trying to push prices up and, you know, sort of figure out our, our brand and where we wanted to go. And we're like, you know, man, will this work? Uh, so I think there were a lot of doubts there uh, in those in those early days and later on. Right. I think then the challenges became a lot about 
building the organization and scaling the team and how do you how do you bring people in and 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 create the right kind of culture of a, a slightly larger organization so so again looking at those early days you know you talked about your experience with your first startup cheddar media and and that business failing and as you went into this new business and and you were you know in the early days struggling to to get customers or get them to pay for the product was there a time that you felt like giving up uh not really you know i have to say i was i was really passionate about it and we we didn't get to that point of you know wanting to give up um we were hard on ourselves for sure and we were very objective about you know do we think the market's taking turns in different directions do we think that you know, competitors are doing things that we can't match. Do we think that we're missing a turn in the road? But uh, I think we had a lot of passion and the three of us, the founding team, we really loved working together. And, and we were getting, like, like I said, you know, some validation, uh, even if they were small things, you know, each, each month, each week that was, you know, encouraging to say, yeah, let's, you know, let's keep pushing. Let's see what we can do. Let's, you know, get to that next milestone and, you know, keep trying to climb the mountain. So at what point in the business did you did you realize that these global brands were really your target customers and you could charge a lot more for this product than maybe you had been up until then? When did that happen for you? Uh I'd say it was probably about a year and a half or 2 years in. And uh you know sometime before we had raised our first uh VC money when we were, you know, we were serving at that point, all kinds of customers, right? You're, you're still in that, that mode of like, we want to get anybody in who, who has this pain. And, and, uh, we got a few larger enterprises that came in and we were able to serve their need. And, and through talking to them, we realized, man, these guys have really complex problems, right? They've got hundreds of profiles. They've got global teams. They've got a lot of data they need to get access to and figure out They're sort of they're working across channels and they're spending real money on, on social marketing. And so we realized if we could, if we could serve that broader pain point for a larger number of users, you know, if we could have a hundred people at a big company logging into the product, well, there's a lot more value there and that we could, we could move the price point up for those guys. And so we, we had a way, we had a pricing structure that, that could scale with the number of profiles that they had and the size of their social media audience um, and so we, we started, you know, seeking out brands that had those uh, higher higher numbers there and and that, those more complex use cases. Uh, and we realized that we were a very, very good fit for them. So one of the things that I've seen, you know, many businesses do to chase customers is to is to, you know, take feedback from people who aren't paying for your product um, go and build something, build a new feature or improve something uh, with the hope that these people are are then going to come and pay for your product. And, you know, more often than not, that doesn't work out, right? Just because of the whole customer development and just because somebody says that, you know, if you had XYZ feature that I'd, I'd use your product or, um, you know, that feature sounds really cool, but but when it comes to them opening up their wallets and taking out their credit cards, they're not really willing to do that. Did you have any similar experiences? You, you talked about this company in Australia that asked for some some additional features, and and you guys were able to deliver on that. But did you have any any experiences where 
you ended up building features that nobody wanted or nobody mm. would pay for? Uh, you know, we definitely took chances and built things that we thought where the market was going and weren't the most, uh, either we didn't execute the, the feature very well or there wasn't as strong of a need. But I guess we were asking the question a little bit differently. So that, that's an interesting one because I think we were, we were looking at people who were actually paying us and we were thinking about how do we deliver more value to you? So we have a product that you like to use and you're paying some money for. Um, could we deliver, could we solve similar problems elsewhere? You know, what other data sources are you working with? What other kinds of reporting are you doing? Those were the kinds of questions we would ask. And then we'd sort of go solve for that and figure we could then charge the, you know, those customers higher prices and sell that broader package to other customers. Got it. So if somebody who wasn't using your product or was using the free version gave you some feedback, you might, you guys might, you know, put that on your backlog and think about considering that in the future. But most of your efforts were focused on existing paying customers and how you could deliver more value for them and ultimately get them to pay you more for the product. Yeah, I, I would say that's generally true. And, and, and also I think we weren't, uh, you know, I think customers are a lot better at describing like problems than solutions. And so I think we were more focused on identifying the problems we could solve rather than fielding a bunch of feature requests and prioritizing those. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that we would figure out what the problems are, you know, observing where the market was going, uh, talking to our customers, talking to our free users. So getting collecting input from all these different cues, but then ultimately it was up to us to figure out, well, what's the right features or packaging of features that are going to have the best, you know, that are going to deliver that, uh, that value to the end user. And at what point did you take on the CEO role? So how, uh, long, how long were the three of you kind of co-running the business and, and sort of trying to make decisions as a threesome? And, and at what point did you guys realize that you needed to have better defined roles? Gosh, you know, I don't even remember. I think it probably was a few, it was a few months in um, where we actually, you know, gave ourselves titles. Um, <laughs> but I think that it, it was, uh, you know, we were all kind of playing the roles that we, you know, ended up titling on. So that was that was not a, a big deal at, at that point. We all, we all had specific skills and, you know, that were very complementary. And I think that's really important for a founding team. Um, you know, my, my skill set was on, you know, driving the business, um, you know, kind of talking to the market. Uh, my co-founder Aviel is just phenomenal when it comes to design and user experience and, and kind of product. And then Damon is just a, a fantastic technologist who can build things very quickly and, and um, you know, has a really good grasp for what the latest technologies are that we could leverage to solve customer problems. Okay, Adam. So we started this conversation by going back to where the idea for Simply Measured came from. And then we've taken this journey together on how you turn that idea into a successful product. Let's talk about the business today. What's your current revenue? So we don't, we don't typically share our, uh, our revenue. I mean, I guess I could just say it's, you know, sort of in the eight figure run rate and we're growing very quickly. Um, We've, you know, we've managed to establish a really good position in the market where, you know, we we're seen as a leader in the social analytics category. Um, and, you know, I, I'll say where we want to take it to is we want to be a hundred million dollar plus recurring revenue business that can, you know, be standalone and, you know, 
we think this is something that can last very long term. So we're, we're kind of in it for the long term here. How big is your company today? How many people do you have working at Simply Measure today? We're about 125 people now. Um, we've grown, you know, we were uh, 75 at the end of last year. We were 35 at the end of the previous year. So we've been, you know, roughly doubling the size of the team over the last uh, few years. Um, so we've been, we've been growing in all areas, engineering, sales, marketing, and we've been really, you know, trying to build out a, an organization that can take the business to the next level. And do you see that continuing more hiring in the coming year? Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll probably, um, you know, add about 40, uh, 40 to 50 people next year. Um, you know, we still see the market growing like crazy. And, um, you know, we, we did raise a, a venture round earlier this year. And so we're, you know, investing that to continue growing the team. So tell, give me one example of how the dynamics of the company have changed over the last couple of years as you've grown so quickly. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't have the feel of the little startup with the, you know, we're sort of huddled around one desk in this, you know, little first floor office over on East Lake Avenue in Seattle. Um, you know, now, you know, I think, you know, it's a, it's a slightly larger feel. It's still, I think we still have a very entrepreneurial, passionate culture here. Um, but it feels a little different, you know, at this stage because we've we've got some validation. There's a little more security. Uh, you know, people people feel like we're going to be around for a long time. Uh, so I think the risk in people when people sign up for the job, you know, the the question of will you be here in six months it as has sort of um, gone away, and it's more about well, how big will this be? You know, how far can you run? And so I think that the, the thinking has shifted from, can we exist? Will people pay for our product to, can we build something really big and meaningful? And, and how has the role of, for you as CEO changed with that growth? <laughs> uh, it's changed in all aspects. It's in the, in the early days, I was, I was building the initial reports. I was, you know, selling. I was doing the client services. I was sort of wearing all of the hats of a of the business side. Um, and now, you know, it's a lot of recruiting. Um, it's a lot of kind of setting the the vision and the strategy, and then sort of working through the the executive team to make sure we're all aligned to to deliver on that. Um, there's certainly some component of you know working with our investors and and making sure we have alignment there. Um, so the role has changed a lot from from jack of all trades to um, you know to kind of a, a leadership position. How important do you think the lessons from Cheddar Media were for you in in building the business that Simply Measured has become today? They were very, I mean, very very important, particularly in the early days. I, mean, I honestly, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, I wouldn't say that the <laughs> that the most. Uh, the funnest or the sort of best path to learn how to do it is to, you know, spend a couple of years, uh, you know, effectively failing, but it, it, it was a great, great education. And, you know, I learned a lot of what not to do and also just, you know, got to learn by doing in a lot of ways. And, and so I think, um, probably the biggest thing for me that I took away, I think I was a bit too optimistic. Um, I had come from consulting. I thought, Oh, I can sell my ideas. This is, you know, I can do anything. Uh, and that was great. But I think that the objective side and the critical side and, you know, really sort of 
asking yourself and your team the hard questions wasn't there for me at Cheddar Media. And, and I brought that to Simply Measured from the start. Okay, Adam, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd just like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Bring it. <laughs> All right. Here we go. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Ah, okay. Well, my grandfather has a lot of really good nuggets. Uh, I just say he always says stuff like, keep at it or be good. <laughs> so I'll go with that. Keep at it. <laughs> uh, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? You know, I was just, some other uh, guests of yours claimed uh, probably my first and second one. So I'll go with uh, Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness, the the, CEO of Zappos. Great story about entrepreneurship and building culture. That's a great book. And uh, a few years ago, I actually saw him uh, on an Alaska Airlines flight sitting in a middle seat. And I was like, really? It's like, you you must be able to do better than that. Wow. That is a shocker. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Passion. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I'll combine the two. Evernote plus uh, the way I make my weekly to-do list inside Evernote. So I I keep everything. My whole life is in Evernote. Uh, I'm always snapping pictures on my phone and putting those into Evernote and uh, I kind of store everything there because I, I realize my brain can't hold it all. Uh, and then the sort of every Sunday night, I, I kind of take a look back at the previous week and I think about the next week and make a, uh, you know, a, a two or three bullet list of the things I want to get done. If you sold Simply Measured and had to start over tomorrow, what type of business would you build? Oh, man, I would do the same thing. I love doing this. I don't want to sell it. So, uh <laughs> Does that answer suffice or do I need to pick one? Well, tell, tell me about how you would go looking for another opportunity. Uh, I, I would probably spend a lot of time with, uh, you know, other entrepreneurs that were really, really early on and that had, you know, found some customer pain um, because uh, that's what gets me exciting is, is solving problems. I, I do, I'd want to do something that sells to businesses and is software as a service again, probably, but um, I'm not sure what parts of the company. I think HR tools, there's a lot of things in, in HR that, that are would be interesting problems to solve. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, well, a fun fact is I can do a belly roll. You'll, I won't do it for you, but I can. <laughs> okay, and I think the last question you answered at the beginning anyway, but what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Golf, absolutely. All right. Great answers. Adam, I want to thank you for joining me today and talking about Simply Measured. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your insights with our audience. And and thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out about Simply Measured, they can go to simplymeasured.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Twitter is my preferred channel. So I'm at Shoney on Twitter, and that's S-C-H-O-E-N-Y. Awesome. So Adam, thanks again. And I wish you continued success with Simply Measured. Thanks, Omar. Appreciate it. Bye. 
Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? JotForm Tables is a solution you've been looking for. JotForm Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and JotForm Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your JotForm forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But JotForm Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.